0: Hey, Doug.
1: Oh, hello, Karen. (laughs) Oh my God, you're loopy.
0: I know. It was just a weird intro for me. It's all new shit. Getting used to doing things a new way.
1: So listeners, um, welcome, thank you, and an apology. uh, Because we are re-recording what we recorded last week. Uh, we had some sound glitches, all of which were my fault and my unintentional doing. Um, so we're going to revisit what we talked about last week and maybe throw in some, some new stuff this week. Um, and we're using a different platform to record. So we're hoping that everything sounds a uh, lot better. And we are going to ask you to let us know if that is the case. Um, we're keeping our fingers crossed that we're having a, a, a glitch and ghost-free recording moving forward. Um, and here we are. On Hollywood Boulevard. And I actually think I'm throwing something, Karen, your way that you might not know I'm doing. You might not uh, have seen because it was sort of late breaking. I sent you a link about something that happened today. And I'm not sure if you were able to see it this evening before we got started.
0: I read the link. Not too clear about what's going on with that whole thing. Because honestly, I knew it was... I knew it's about Charlie's Angels, the movie. I knew the movie was coming. I thought it was still being filmed.
1: (laughs) So basically there was a new, I guess we call it a reboot of Charlie's angels directed, either written or co-written and co-produced by Elizabeth banks. And of the three Charlie's angels in this version, only the only name was Kristen Stewart. Um, And the movie didn't do really well. And Elizabeth banks, has sort of been going around in interviews and on the socials saying how it was a shame that people didn't come out and support this movie that was driven by women, um, and it's unfair because, you know, all these Marvel and superhero movies that are male-driven have an audience, and why couldn't people come out? And it's pissed off like a whole cross-section uh, of people uh in what she said. All I know is, and I think what you have just said is kind of proof of this point, I think the movie was poorly marketed and poorly timed, and no one knew much about it that it was coming out and had any reason to be excited about it, and I'm sorry, Elizabeth Banks, that your name on something isn't enough to bring people to uh, movies, but um, sometimes a movie is just bad and and a lot of people don't get excited um, and want to see it, and, and maybe that's that. But clearly like this was a However much money was in it, the marketing was bad. Yeah, well, okay,
0: first of all, is this the same Elizabeth Banks who's the actor? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think she's in it. I'm not sure if she's the, the, the new Bosley. Yeah, it's that same Elizabeth Banks that you've seen on screen a thousand times.
0: Okay, because I had no idea until I read that link that you sent me that she directed and was behind the Pitch Perfect movies, which I haven't seen, but I know that they were huge hits. Like, she is not untalented. She's actually quite talented, And I'm, I don't know, I honestly don't know jack shit about this Charlie's Angels reboot. I didn't even know that Kristen Stewart was in it.
1: Yeah, that much I knew. And she was on SNL last week, two weeks ago, to help promote it. Um, Yeah, I was aware of it as a movie that was coming and the one that I was probably not going to see.
0: I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, first of all, (sighs) did it need a reboot? No. I mean, right, don't we ask this all the time, right? Did Did it really need a reboot? Yeah. Um, you know, this is one where I feel like, did it really need a reboot? Um, but also, and, and in fairness, you know, she's not wrong. I mean, why do we have 37 spider Man? You know, because right. they keep trying to get it right, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I guess, but I get, you know, I guess but people not coming out to see the movie. And I get, like, I kind of get what she's kind of going on about because, you it's a it's a female led project right yeah. it's, it's all female lead roles female director female writers a woman's story when that fails like there's a lot more writing on that than just the bu- like than just, like, the studio's budget, right? There's a lot more writing on it in terms of people's careers. You know, one tanked film can end a, a female director's career, whereas, like, Brett Ratner will never die, yeah. right? I mean, like, you know, like, the men, can, the men can blow through billions of Hollywood dollars and they will always be given another movie, um, whereas women directors... Uh, you know, are it's not allowed to fail spectacularly. One
1: one one timeout, one misstep, and they're like, oh no, we can't do this. We can't, we can't let trust, them do this. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, we can't trust a woman with all with a movie that's this much money and like that's bullshit. Like anybody's movie can movie can fucking tank. Like anybody's. I don't care who directed it. You know, and this I think the problem was it was probably a the material, um, b the casting. I mean, Kristen Stewart doesn't say good time to me. No. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I hate to like rag on her because I don't like. I only know her from Twilight, and and I couldn't stay awake through that movie. <laughs> and so, like, she just doesn't have the action star energy that i would feel like i just can't imagine like sitting through 2 hours of like you know an adventure an action movie with somebody who is so listless on screen
1: no it's absolutely <laughs> <I'm> right <sorry. laughs>
0: and she's probably great in this i don't know um but but that was sort of that that would be my like like i can't see her being like you know because i mean she just is she's a really low energy actor no
1: her thing is like being quiet and sullen
0: Exactly. And, you know, that, that ain't Charlie's Angels. And
1: what I will say, in her defense, I've now seen some of these, these very good sort of, like, indie artsy movies that she's done, primarily with, uh, uh, you know, several French auteurs. Um, and she's good. I think when she works with the right people, she can actually be molded very, very well and give performances that are very rich, but... I can't see her, and this goes back to something we were saying on our other podcast about those who react and those who drive scenes. She, to me, is a reactor. She is not someone who drives a film, particularly not an action comedy with some suspense thrown in. Um, and I don't know enough about the other two actresses who are in Charlie's Angels. I know nothing about them, so so I can't say anything. But, um, yeah, I think Elizabeth Banks, I think she is a talent. I think she's a shrewd business person too but um i i can understand how these comments just come off as petty and rub people the wrong way and look uh, yeah, this is i
0: don't think it's petty i think it's her fighting for um yeah i see where people would be like oh that's petty but like i just see that it's her sort of seeing like the landscape of hollywood and being like well fuck You know, like because because women aren't allowed to fail, we are not allowed to have a bad sales day. You know,
1: look at a wrinkle in time in Ava DuVernay, yeah, which was basically held as a litmus test. And it's like, well, but the whole thing doesn't sink or swim on one project,
0: right? And they but they treat a female career like it does, yeah. You know, so so I get where she's coming from yeah. there. I get I get the frustration. And what was the movie that knocked her out? What was it, Ford versus Ferrari? Um,
1: no, well, it, it it did badly in general. Ford versus Ferrari was the biggest new release, but the Midway film is still the one that's at the top.
0: Which so, film? Uh, Midway.
1: Midway about the Battle of Midway, which um, has turned out to be a surprise blockbuster. Um, both of them though are male dominated.
0: Where, am, where have I been?
1: But this is the whole thing. I feel but, like
0: I've been under a rock. I know nothing. But
1: this is the thing. Movies aren't exciting now. It's release after release that like no one gives a shit about.
0: You know, I don't know. I don't know if it's me or if it's like like the way that I consume media now is so like. I think know. that is a
1: part of it. But I think that's the reason why like, there's nothing exciting happening on the big screen.
0: But I just think it kind of bums me out because, like, you know, like, I hate that, like, when I go to, like, NYTimes.com, there's an algorithm telling me what I would enjoy reading, which is not necessarily true. Yeah. 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 Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, we, are,
1: we are more than our viewing data suggests. Yeah, like,
0: I want to, like, okay, so I might lean towards reading more theater reviews than, like, the average person. But, like, I need to have, like, this breadth of knowledge that I don't get because of the fucking algorithms and it really makes me i wish there was a way that we could just shut them off and i could say show me the whole goddamn paper or you know show me all of your stories so that i can flip through you know because i don't also don't want to be like pay that extortionate print print publication price to get it in print because it is just ridiculously i mean, thousands of dollars now to get like new york times when it's like, you know, not that much to get it online, right? no. no. Um, you know, but I prefer to read on paper. As I, yeah, as I've said for myself. Because you can look, you can see the stories as opposed to, you know, having an algorithm tell you what, you know, what you should be, what, what you, they, it thinks you'd be interested in. And I think that's a real problem.
1: I, well, yes. And I've uh, whined about it before, so I won't uh, belabor it too much now. But I agree. I like the I like the tactile version of the paper. I feel like now, no matter what, I'm always missing stories. There are things I don't know about in every section. Um, so, yeah.
0: You know, so, I, I mean, I think that that might be part of the reason why I'm so stupid. I mean, granted, like, <laughs> I've had my head down dealing with, like, you know, other shit yeah. in my life the past few months, but... But still, like, you would think that I would know something, and I feel like I know nothing about nothing.
1: Yeah, that is sometimes how I feel at this point. Because it's like, if my head is down just dealing with work stuff for 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day, you know, I come up for air, and it's enough to, you know, like, eat, sleep, and kiss my girlfriend, and that's about it. It's like, I I don't know, I don't anticipate things the same way. Um, And the only things I really am hearing about are like the weekly drops of whatever is now streaming as opposed to what is coming to the theater.
0: Yeah. That's all that people seem to be talking about is what's streaming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's a call we'll put out to you guys. If there's anything um, that is top of your list, uh, let us know because that'll be what I focus on watching in in my less than copious spare time.
0: Well, here's here's a question, right? Because it's a, a playwright just like sort of chucked this out on Twitter. Um, oh. and I don't want to I don't want to call attention to who it is. is. Okay. I'll just let it ride. But it was basically like she was saying, if you're not going to come to my show, like on the day of, don't don't like don't like text me and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't make it. Like, you know, it was in this sort of like context of, I'm just, I'm having such a stressful day. I'm so like, that this is not helpful. So just don't show up is basically what she was saying. And then in the tweet, she said, uh, in like a subtweet, she was like, and don't feel bad for not coming. I'm paraphrasing. Cause it's only 140 characters. Um, you know, don't feel bad for not coming. Like I totally get it. Like, what was it she said it was it was kind of good it was, she said something like, like theater is inconvenient
1: i don't what no and,
0: and I was so like, it's you
1: like know. so the whole thing is like just stop showing up places in life because it's all just too much
0: i in a way yeah and you know i mean i kind of was like wondering is she wrong because i don't think she's wrong but You're does think she's wrong
1: does i well no i'm just trying to to broaden it i mean does that mean like is theater inconvenient or is is going anywhere beyond like uh, the the bones of our day inconvenient
0: well i think that that's what she was sort of getting at like it's not like streaming where you go home you make dinner you make it work you can, for you you make yeah. it work for you like you have to be somewhere at a certain time before they close the house you've got to sit in a room with people you've got to you know people who people who are Terrible. I mean, you know, like let's face it, audiences are audiences
1: terrible. Audiences are awful.
0: You know, like this is partially why one does not want to go to the movies or the theater anymore is because the audiences are terrible. You know, so, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that there is a level of inconvenience there, and I don't know that it's necessarily inconvenience. I mean, I think because our lives are so much busier, for sure, and I do think that the the inconvenience of having to be around other people who are Behaving badly, that's also an inconvenience.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, yes. I don't know. My thing is I always believe in when you make a commitment, you stick to it. So if you have been offered tickets to a show or you have bought tickets for a show... Then, like, show up, and only if there's, you know, like a, an extreme emergency or something comes up, do I feel like okay? Then you don't go, which is different oh. from it being an inconvenience.
0: Oh, would they would 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 they all behave as you do? I know.
1: I can only imagine what some of what you have uh, experienced <gasps> and witnessed. Um, I don't know. As someone who sees three hundred shows in the theater a year, like. Inconvenient is never the word I would use because it stems from a passion I at least used to have, um, <laughs> and you know, and it's still something that I'm very curious about. Um, does so it
0: <laughs> in the tw- in your twenties you're like I can see as much theater as I want. By the time you're like forty, you're like I don't even want to get out of like, bed. It's like, <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> You're like I can't, I can't anymore.
1: It's but but so I mean the only way I would I would sort of be like yeah I I get this is is actually to expand the whole thing and be like just going out is now an inconvenience, an annoyance, a nuisance. Just making plans and seeing friends and dealing with the subway or traffic or whatever your commute. At, like all of it now because it's all a bit more problematic and nothing works right and nothing runs on time and people are terrible and all of those things all of those things now feel more fraught I think than they ever Mm -hmm. did before and And I think
0: that's how what she was kind of getting at like I don't think she was saying like theater's inconvenient but I think that there is a real inconvenience factor now with going somewhere. Yeah. And that whether it's to the theater or to the movies or to dinner or to the library, like there's, like, you've always got to, like, I find myself sort of like weighing out, like, the benefits versus, you know, <laughs> like before I go anywhere, it's like, well, what are the benefits here? What are the drawbacks? What, you know, like, like it's a real sort of like, do I really want to leave the house? Yeah. No, you know.
1: I, 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 I do share that more and more. I will say yesterday, today is a Monday. So yesterday on Sunday was originally going to be uh, what I would call a free day. I hadn't booked anything. And then due to a last minute cancellation on the part of a press rep, I had to rebook something from the middle of the week to, to Sunday. And it was kind of a pain in the ass. Cause it was like, that would have been one day where I could just sit, catch my breath. The, the most productive I feel is when I do the least. Because I just feel like I can regain my feeling of, like, control and feeling on top of things. And that mm-hmm. I've got everything down before I dive into another week. And it all does go back to, like, our weeks and our days are just all too jam-packed and kind of fractured. Um,
0: you know what I've been doing um, or I've been trying to force myself to do meditate. in the middle of my work day? Well, that, and it never works out. <laughs> Um, but I am trying to sort of force myself in the middle of my work day to stop and think.
1: Oh, so similar. Yeah.
0: But similar, right? It but is I mean, like,
1: it's-, it's like a reconnecting and like, it's like a, a writing yourself again, R-I-G-H-T writing yourself kind of Kind thing. of,
0: kind of where I just am, I just allow myself to kind of like sit there and daydream because I find that like, I'm not being creative, um, yeah. I'm not coming up with good ideas. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, the the ideas that I am coming coming up with feel forced, um, and not organic. And, and I, and I found myself like two weeks ago when I sort of went, huh, this is interesting. I was, I was, I actually like had lunch, not at my desk and I was just sort of like, I kind of finished and I was sitting there with like a soda or something and I just was staring out the window And all of a sudden I had all these ideas and it was because I let myself sort of like step away and maybe like read a book or flip through a magazine or, you know, and, and just like decompress. And then I was able to, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I think I really do need more time of nothing because not having that nothing time is actually making me less good at my work.
1: I think so. I think uh, not for you, I think in general for anyone. Yes. I think because you're spending so much time just concentrating on all the things you have to do and remembering all the things you have to do that there isn't room to be cre- there's room to just execute, but there isn't room to be creative or think things through or reconnect. The wires or any of it, I just I do, yeah,
0: because honestly that that sort of think thinking time actually does take time and that takes time away from execution, and I don't know if you're like me, but I oh my God, we're turning this into a business podcast all of a sudden, well, but like, I feel like when I'm not executing, I feel like I'm not working, yeah, and I think that that's yeah. wrong, like that's wrong,
1: no, it's it's both true and wrong. I couldn't agree more. And I think you said it perfectly. That's like, we feel like now we have to quantify everything we do and everything that we are. And it's like, if you aren't producing something, if you aren't executing something, if you aren't responding to something, sending something out, that type of thing, then it's like, what are you doing? What are you working on? And so the idea of creating isn't solely measured by the output But it has to be measured by, like, the input of what is going on within you to get to the point where you know this better than anyone and can do this great and have this other idea, that sort of thing. And in general, the capital letter, you know, Royal We, isn't letting – we're not letting ourselves do that
0: right because it's like how do you put thinking into your billable hours no like how do you like Like, are you allowed to think like no you're you're supposed to execute right you know i'm not paying you to think i'm paying you to execute well shit yeah
1: (laughs) you know no it's true i mean you know i'm i'm a contractor right now so technically like i should be quantifying every single thing i can do for every hour that i am billing and it's like so, if I'm just sitting and, and you know, coming up with ideas about things, like, where is the proof of what I have been thinking about if someone were to ask me to uh, to document that? I mean, you can't. But that yeah, doesn't mean yeah. it's not work. It doesn't mean it's not strategy, that sort of thing. Right. so exactly. But I don't have any answers about it. I mean, the idea is find a way to give yourself time back, which I think is great advice to do in general for all right. facets of life. And it's almost impossible to do because how do you get off that merry-go-round?
0: I don't know.
1: I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. And i tried a few times. Um, and I've tried every time I've sort of moved from one job or one job role to another. Um, but my days and my situation a little different in that I've basically worked two careers, a day job and a freelance career for going on two decades. Right. So it's like my time is always like, compounded like doubly so with that sort of thing
0: i think though more and more of us are like this now because everybody has that side hustle and 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 a lot of and a
1: lot of people will recommend that you do that Mm. you should be spending a part of your life working on something that isn't your day job that isn't your money maker per se because a it could lead to something else that you are more in control of that that you know contributes to how you, you build your livelihood and also it's Good for the soul, you know, because that that probably stems for something that is closer to your true passion or talent or both um, and and is very healthy for you to do. Um, but I but think it's exhausting. But, I mean,
0: like let's—I mean, let's be honest. It's exhausting.
1: Because what did people do until our generation? They typically worked from nine to five, and you did whatever was in front of you for those eight hours or seven, if you had a lunch, that sort of thing. And then you went home, and there was no telecommuting, there was no internet, there was no checking a phone, there was no checking a laptop. You were back to your own life and the things that meant the most to you and were your true priorities and now we've we've shunted that to the side we fill our day with as much checking in with work stuff whatever that is as we can and we don't disengage yeah and now we can go a lifetime of not disengaging right and right. i think that's dangerous
0: right no i completely agree and I, but and and that's also though it, not only with our day jobs but also the side hustle thing it's it, yeah you know, because you might leave your day. And, I mean, ostensibly, you are supposed to do like, your side jo- your side hustle is your passion project or whatever. You know, you're supposed to. It's this thing that you enjoy. But the bottom line is, I don't care if you love it. It's still work. Like, it's still. And I, and I don't care what they say. Well, if you love it, it doesn't feel like work. No, sometimes it just feels yeah. like work. Yeah,
1: because here's the thing. I I do love a lot of what I do. But it's always transactional. I'm yep. always doing something that someone else is calling the shots for there are bosses there are deadlines involved um and those are those are extra strictures that you put up within your own life and really within your own personal life so you know like my passion is like sleeping late but i don't get to don't... do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> i know that's that's my passion too <laughs>
1: you know like like there's there's no transaction there so I forego that. Um, but, but no, that's the thing, like. You know, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, okay, I love not having a boss of any kind, but that's not the way it works.
0: It's not the way. Even if you're freelance, you will always right. be working for somebody. Yeah. Even as a writer, I'm working for my readers. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's still a service of some sort in the right. end.
0: Right. Like they're my boss. They just, I just happen to have a lot of bosses, you know, and I can't listen to all of them, but, you know, I have to sort of take the majority on, you know, when they say, God, that book sucked. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or not
0: or not, or not, um, but you know, I mean, the bottom line is everybody is working for there's nobody that's truly working for themselves, no, I mean, unless I guess unless you are a day trader,
1: I mean sure, maybe it was, yeah. uh, 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 maybe I think you're still being held to someone higher, or you know the you know the market or whatever still dictates something there, but um. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. We're filling our lives more and more with, um, with work and obligation. And even if there are people who are, I don't know, influencers or whatever, where it's like, okay, so you get to stay at home as much as you want or travel as much as you want and be fabulous. Um, like, now you're still tied to an internet. You're still tied to a transaction as far as I'm concerned. You may be winning because that's the kind of like movement you want to have within your life, but, um, I mean, you're still defining yourself now by what you're doing for money.
0: And there's there's always a downside, right? Like, like as much as I love writing, um, you know, there's there's always a downside to it. There's a parts of it that I don't love. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, every, you, you don't love everything about every, you know, every moment of everything that you do. You know, there are frustrating days. There are days where you want to scream. There are days where... You know, you have to like do this thing because everything, like you you have to fix your computer because something broke. You know, like like there are frustrations <laughs> with everything. You yeah, know? and
1: I I long ago had to learn to be much less precious about. I want everything I write to be perfect. I want yeah, it all. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I want I want, <laughs> and I want it all to be like, oh, you said the right thing and the clever original thing. And now it's like sometimes you just have to make sure you write a thousand words every day to 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 get. To get it done, and part of having the talent is just knowing that you have 45 minutes and can write something, right? Um, and it, and not everything is Pulitzer worthy, that sort of thing, right? Um, yeah. And um, before I forget, we did mention it last time, so I'll say it now instead of at the end. Um, I was going back and uh, for, to my college newspaper where I was the entertainment editor and wrote for four years, and, and uh, the current class at my alma mater sort of like resurrected some of the stuff that we wrote in the 90s. Um, And they and it it caused a bunch of us to sort of like reflect on what we had written. And I look back on some of the stuff I wrote when I and wrote about when I was in college, and I'm like, oh, I like this. So I'm going to be reposting some of them as like the anniversaries of certain releases come up, and so you'll see me on our, our. Facebook page, I think the first one I'm going to post is a 20-year-old review that I had written about The Insider, the Michael Mann movie with Al Pacino, Russell Crowe, and Christopher Plummer um, that I did then. It's a fantastic movie, and and, and, and it's a a pretty, uh, you know, praiseful review. So I'm going to post that because I found the, the, the link in the archive. Um, And you can see what Doug was like 20 years ago. And I'm going to make a mini-series of revisiting some of those things. Um, I'm going to say this right now. In about a month when we go to our uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard podcast, around the time of the 20-year anniversary of Magnolia, I'm going to want to spend some time revisiting that movie because I had a lot to say then and – I want to I want to check how I feel about it twenty years later. I think that's one of the most significant movies I've ever seen. So, uh, so the, the heads up for that one. Did you ever see it?
0: Which one? I'm sorry.
1: Magnolia. The Paul Thomas Anderson one with. Did I see that? Tom Cruise and yes. Julianne Moore, Jason Robards, Philip Seymour Hoffman.
0: No, you know why? Because at the time, I was really over Tom Cruise. Oh,
1: uh, we probably yeah. are over him now too.
0: Not as over him as I was then.
1: All right. Well, then put a pin in that. Listeners will be talking about Magnolia and Tom Cruise at length, I guarantee you, probably right around Christmas time. Um,
0: okay. So I should maybe try and see if that's streaming somewhere.
1: Yeah. My guess is it probably is. Um, it is like a three and a half hour long movie. You must oh, know that. You must wow. know that going in.
0: Ow. All right. I'll gird my loins.
1: But I will, I mean, I will say, spoiling myself a little bit... Uh, I do think it's, like, one of the best movies I've ever seen and, like, one of the richest viewing experiences. So there's worse things you could see. But it okay. is but it is a three-and-a-half-hour commitment, whether you do it broken up or all at uh, once.
0: Okay. Well, at least I can do it at home, or if I have to go to yeah, the bathroom, yeah. I can pause it. Yeah, or,
1: or, or you know, just go and keep watching, whatever. Um. <laughs> I don't know your life. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't know if I have a TV in my bathroom. <laughs> no.
1: So I think this has actually been a very uh, enlightening conversation, and I'm glad we had it. And it's getting late, so I'm gonna talk about one show right now, and then I'll I'll touch on a couple other shows we'll be we doing next week's podcast. But there's only one that I wanted to talk about right now because I just uh, because it just opened and and it I so infrequently get to say really nice things a lot of the time and a new broadway show of a two part opus called the inheritance just opened last night and i think it's the most satisfying experience i've had at the theater all year so i really? want uh, yeah yes uh not and it didn't come as much of a surprise um but i don't know how much you know of it or if you read any of the reviews upon its opening
0: i was i was skimming them and i w- can't say that everyone had your opinion
1: no and and I'll say something quick about that towards the end, but okay. but what this was a huge hit in London. I believe it won a record number of Olivier Awards there, um, and it is, you know, the the title is has several meanings. Matthew Lopez is a playwright who has done kind of slimmer fare. Uh, up until now, and this is a a two-part play that adds up to seven hours of stage time uh, for a pretty big ensemble, ultimately, Um, and it's set in the mostly modern era. A lot of it's set in 2016. Some of it's tied to that awful election, Um, but it looks at the current generation of gay men, and one, one of the meanings of inheritance is what the current generation has taken from their predecessors. Um, and a lot of what the play has to do is not so much um, not so much like the violence and the discrimination against gay men as specifically the suffering during the, the height of the AIDS crisis. Um, and there's one character who gives a particularly wonderful monologue about what it was like to live during that time. Uh, his name is Paul Hilton. I did want to call him out for that i'll speak about the several of the other actors in a second but i did want to say the other major meaning of the inheritance is a more literal one this is an adaptation in many ways of the em forster novel howard's end which is one of my favorite novels and became one of my all-time favorite movies and what matthew lopez has done is sort of transpose the characters and and the plot into a modern uh, New York setting. Um, in The Book of Howard's End, one rich character bequeaths an estate to a younger character, and a, a similar thing happens between um, an older gay man to a younger gay male character uh, in the play. Um, the, the There are several sort of swirling uh, stories that happen, uh, in The Inheritance, which is laced with a ton, ton of humor and some meta-referencing to itself and to other plays like Angels in America and Love, Valor, Compassion that have similarly dealt with AIDS. Um, uh, and, and it mostly does so very nimbly. Um, the scenes themselves are very rich and long um, every now and then I think Lopez stretches his hand too much and thinks he's getting away with a bit more than he is. I think he dips into melodrama, especially in the second parts, uh, later scenes, um, a bit too much, but there's also a lot of gold. There are some long mon- monologues. I almost said long ass monologues.
0: Like, <laughs> monologues. I was like, let's be
1: a little classier. Um, <laughs> Um, that that are really beautifully uh, rendered. I should say the director is uh, Tony winner, three time Oscar nominee Stephen Daldry, who really knows what the hell he's doing um, with whether it's the the largest sequence or or the most intimate one. Um, and the the leading actor is uh, Kyle Soler, who is just fantastic. Also won the Olivier. Um, and he plays uh, a thirty-something gay man who's sort of coming out of a problem relationship and and learning more about himself and the older generation, um, and and he does so with like such like effortless and vivid charm. It is an absolutely moving and. Largely reactive Performance that I think it's Easily the best leading performance I have seen On stage all year Um, And as his Soon to be Ex-boyfriend over the course of the show Andrew Burnap does amazing things As a sort of more arrogant uh, Writer character, and another actor that I've seen for the first time in the show named Samuel H. Levine is doing amazing work in what turns out to be a dual role. Um, There's a lot that's going on here and a lot that I'm trying to be cryptic about because I just don't want to give too much away, but I found it to be just a highly satisfying sitting experience watching experts on stage and backstage doing uh, really passionate Work. Um, I will say the actress Lois Smith, who may be 89 or 90 years old, has a wonderful, almost Aria-like monologue in the second part um, as well. Uh, They're only... Oh, my God. And she's just... She's going to work forever. Yes. I love her. Um, And... And, I mean there's more I could say and there's more I will write about this but but for the sake of this I want to encourage anyone uh, who is listening and thinking like well if I can only see one play this year what should it be and I do think there are plenty of seats available throughout the run uh, I I would go see the inheritance I will say I, unlike Howard's and its sort of source material which is a masterpiece I don't think the inheritance is Quite up to that, okay. but we're talking about like an a minus instead of an a or an A plus uh, deeply satisfying, superbly acted show. and every member of the ensemble. Um, is doing gangbusters work as well um and and i sat there for a matinee and an evening over the course of one saturday and said i'm so glad i saw this and i left the theater and thought about it the next day and the day after that and was still thinking about it and it towers over just everything else i've seen this year um now so that's the other thing that i wanted to say um very quickly. I just feel looking at what some of my other colleagues um, who get to actually write reviews for their living, I feel like they took to this show with a sharper knife than they take to a lot of the other shows that seem to get a pass that have similar flaws or much worse flaws, um, and for whatever reason, maybe political. Uh, Really get a pass that some people did not give to the inheritance. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. I think people are not being objective in how they are looking at everything um, the same way. And I think I am, and I think I'm right and they're wrong.
0: (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, what is their biggest complaint about it? Because, like I said, I scanned the reviews and I saw that they weren't wild about it. You know, like you know, there was no critics' pick there. What in, in the New York Times? Like, what are they complaining about here? I, what, what are they? I not I think enjoying? I
1: think they're they're taking umbrage at the seeming arrogance of it, the ambition of putting on a seven-hour show. Um, and I think there's an idea that it it kind of calls. To mind what Tony Kushner did with Angels in America, and so it feels somewhat derivative and a little bit like, mm. um, like, like theft. Like he's appropriated so we're only
0: something. One, you
1: yeah. know. Well. I mean, I think people are very defensive of angels, and this feels like it's appropriated some of what Tony Kushner did there. And I think, I think that's a part of it. And I think a part of it is just like Matthew Lopez: Who do you think you are to say you speak for an entire generation uh, of your forebears? Of uh, you know, to speak to something that you didn't quite live through. Also, I think there is some of that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I'm like, well, but I've seen X Y Z show that. That didn't have a coherent plot, that didn't have a coherent structure, that actually had bad performances, and those got critics' picks. So you tell me what was happening there. So, <laughs> so I... I, I y- I, You know, it almost sound like I'm damning it to say, no, it is not a perfect play. Yeah, but it, but it comes closer to greatness than a lot of other things I have seen on the stage this year. So I'm going to keep gunning for it. You probably haven't heard me say the last of it. Um, I am very much in favor of The Inheritance. And I wish um, everyone can have as good a, as, as rewarding a time at the theater somewhere along the way as I did at this show.
0: Remind me what Matthew Lopez has done, because I know that name. What what else has been his?
1: The Legend of Georgia McBride, okay. um, The Whipping Man, which goes back about 10 years. Okay. Uh, and there was one probably in between there that goes back about five or six years that I'm uh, currently forgetting. Um and I actually think there is some autobiography of his own in the show. I think he's been pretty open about the fact that throughout uh, his 20s, um, there was a lot of, like, substance abuse and partying mm-hmm. and kind of lost nights and weekends. And I think he has taken some of that and fueled uh, more than one character with, with some of that knowledge as well. Okay. Um, his and I'm not saying I'm not saying this because uh, uh, I think it has anything to do with nepotism. Just because I think it's cool, his aunt is Priscilla Lopez, who was part of the original company of a chorus line, what I consider the great show of all time. Um, so I just think that's neat.
0: Oh, that is neat. That's cool
1: um so yeah so uh, there's more i can say more to say in general but i just want to say do go see the inheritance if you're in if you're out of town and have any chance to get to town i would also say that's the one you should look into okay so there we go a lot of food for thought this week i'm glad that uh and i hope it all recorded well and sounds good
0: I think we I think it's going to I think I think I think we had a good recording session. I'm hoping we did. But it sounds I feel like I feel like we did.
1: I'm going to go with that gut feeling and I think okay. and I think with that we should sign off.
0: So, um guys holler at us let us know if you're happy with the new recording software. I'm going to have to start paying for it soon so this is all on a test basis. Um, Hit us up on Back on the Block pod on Facebook or leave a little comment on iTunes with the five-star review you're going to give us.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Um, And I think we're good until next time. I think we're great. Okay.
1: So we'll be back soon. Next week will be our pre-Thanksgiving episode. So if there's anything especially Thanksgiving or Turkey related that you would like us to talk about review that sort of thing. Also let us know that uh, on our Facebook page.
0: I'm wondering if we should revisit home for the holidays. I can't say no to that movie. I can't, I can't say no to that movie ever.
1: I'm going to try and make time for that. Okay. I'm going to try, I'm going to try and make some room for that. Okay. All right. That's what we're going to do.
0: All right, guys. Um, We will catch you next week.
1: That's right. We'll see you back on the block. Bye. Bye.